You are listening to the Balmetto State Podcast, where we have conversations about all things basketball with a South Carolina flavor. Let's get started and tip off this episode with your host, the head basketball coach at Westwood High School, John Combs. Welcome to the Ball Meadow State Podcast. Today, we'd like to welcome uh, Coach Jeff DiBattisto. Jeff is a friend of mine, been a friend of mine since 1994, when both him and I were student managers at the University of South Carolina uh, under Coach Eddie Fogler. And Jeff is now currently the athletics director at Dreer High School. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm good. I'm good, John. Thanks for having me. We're all uh, all in some interesting times right now, but but all things considered, we're good. Well, that's great to hear. As at the time of this recording, we're kind of in the middle. I don't know if it's the middle, the beginning, or the end of the uh, COVID nineteen um, situation here. And one of the reasons I'm excited about having Jeff on the podcast today is Jeff. You know, Jeff is only in his forties, but he's got such a wide range of experience. Um, at his age. And Jeff, would you share with us a little bit about your um, working history? I've been fortunate uh, to work for some really good people and, and, and be in some really neat places. Uh, I guess starting at the beginning, as you alluded to, we were managers together at South Carolina. And I think that's obviously where the where the start of the love of coaching began. We worked for uh, someone that I would consider to be my biggest mentor um, in coaching and, and a lot in my life, Coach Fogler. Uh, oddly enough, had the chance to see him today at the golf course, um, and he seems to be doing great. Um, but I learned a lot of things from him, and, and we were, you know, obviously there four years. I was on the five-year plan, um, <laughs> but I learned a ton there and uh, was fortunate enough uh, to, to get some college coaching experience. I was an assistant at Gardner-Webb up in North Carolina. They're a Big South member. I was a junior college coach in Miami, Florida at Miami-Dade. Um, ironically, or, or oddly enough, Miami-Dade is one of the biggest schools in the country. Their enrollment's like 60,000 plus. Um, I've been a high school coach uh, down at, at Bishop England in Charleston. I was at uh, the basketball coach at Dreer High School. Um, Talk about Coach Fogler and his influence he's had on you. What, what are some of the things you, um, you take from him? Yeah, I think the one thing, and, and I, I, I don't know how you feel about this, I, I can guess, but, you know, the one thing you learn early on, or one of the first things you learn from Coach Fogler uh, is that you better be on time, and on time is 15 minutes early, uh, and that sticks with me to this day. Uh, I, you know, I know we're going to discuss kind of what we look for in coaches in the hiring process, but <clears throat> one of the things that I always evaluate is whether or not you're on time, and I think the biggest piece of that is that uh, when you're not on time, you're not respecting other people's time. It's not about you. It's about other people. And so, you know, you and I were, I know we learned very quickly as managers, there was a lot we had to do, but being on time was non-negotiable with him. And then I think the second thing that I learned from him, obviously on top of, you know, the basketball stuff was, I mean, he's a genius. Um, he's also a math genius, by the way, and maybe we'll get to that at some point, but um, is that, if you were loyal to him, he was loyal to you. Um, and I've got some some close friends to this day, you being one of them that, you know, <clears throat> if you're loyal to me, I'm loyal to you. Um, and if you're not, then, then we probably end up going our separate ways. And so I think that's that's something that can be lost in, in today's day and age. And, and I'm certainly not without uh, fault there. I'm, I'm sure uh, there are, are contacts or relationships out there where I haven't done a great job in that area. And, and I would expect, uh, you know, someone to, 
to feel the same way. If I'm not loyal to them, then, then they don't have to be loyal to me. But one of the things that coach was huge on was that loyalty. And, and I think that came from the North Carolina family um, from what we, we all gathered when we were there. Yeah. I believed one of the quotes he coach Fogler always said was being late is the height of egotism saying that your time is more valuable than someone else's. But I agree with you wholeheartedly. That is something I, I certainly took uh, from coach Fogler and the loyalty thing with him was absolutely. I take that as well. I mean, he was loyal to us and we were managers. We didn't play. We didn't, you know, I'd like to think we, we did a really good job at what we were supposed to do, but uh, I felt like he treated us very good. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you, you think uh, maybe at our age and um, when we were there, you know, we were, we were fairly important, but in the grand scheme of things, we were a very, very small cog um, in an SEC basketball operation. And, uh, and for him to take the time, to work with us, to make phone calls for us, to ask us how we were doing. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think, and, and maybe you feel differently, but I don't know that there's a major decision I haven't made in my life as it relates to my career that I haven't made a phone call to him first before I've done it. No, that, absolutely. He's, uh, you know, I'd say he's one of the biggest influences on my life and while I'm coaching and why my career path has taken a, a certain way for sure. No. And, and, and just as a side, I'm sorry, but just as a side, and, and, and I know that, um, you know, he, he didn't probably let the, the media get as close to, to him, but um, so I don't know how many people, you know, truly got to understand how good of a basketball coach he is and was. Uh, I mean, just his ability to break down another team was, was second to none. And, and since then, in my experiences in other places, and observing other people have never seen someone with that kind of attention to detail uh, and, and recall memory wise. Um, so that's something that I try to take with me. I think he was ultimately prepared for every situation that his teams were going to encounter. And that's one of those things with, a, you know, that you take with a life lesson that you can be prepared, you know, and, and that's the expectation level um, before you, you go to work every day. And, and I think he showed us that too. Absolutely. I, I would tell you one of my greatest regrets working with him was not asking enough questions because I was in awe on him watching video and just trying to figure out what he was looking at, what he was picking up. I don't know if you remember this. When we when we played uh, Kentucky on their senior day in, in 1997, it was that shoot around, I believe, and he told Larry Davis, all right, Larry, this play calls you to go here. But Coach Patino is going to have you so well scouted out that they're going to be there. So instead of going there, I want you to go here in a complete opposite direction. It's going to lead to a layup. And yeah. it happened that day on senior senior day at Kentucky, their first loss in forever. Rick Patino's last game at the University of South Carolina home game or at the University of Kentucky at Rupp Arena is a loss. And he was just that good at detail and, and, and able to tell us what to do, able to tell the players what to do. And that was something that's really stuck with me for a long time. Yeah. That, and, and again, that's where, you know, I think the coaches that listen to this, they've all got, I'm sure that mentor in their life where, you know, there are just certain things that stick out to you that you're never going to forget um, with the influence that they've, they've had on your life. And, and certainly he was that way with us. Yeah. What were some of the other guys or some of the other coaches and maybe things that you've taken from them that, that you've worked with? Cause you've worked with some really good guys over the years. Yeah. I, you know, the other, the other person that sticks out um, immediately to me is a guy named Butch Estes, who uh, I'm sure people in South Carolina are pretty familiar with. He was the head coach at Furman at one point. 
um, and I worked for him at Miami-Dade College, a junior college in Florida. And his, the one thing that I learned from him, um, and this is a, a Coach Fogler, you know, uh, expectation to a certain degree, but um, he expected, and now as an assistant coach in this role, but the expectation for us to be prepared was, was uh, above and beyond. Um, and, you know, junior college has a reputation, I think, of kind of wild, wild west and run and gun. And, and I don't think it's that way. I think it's unbelievable basketball. Um, you know, a lot of times you're taking kids um, that may have character issues or they may have grade issues. Those are usually the two big reasons. But the level of basketball is fantastic. And I think Butch did a fantastic job of getting our team ready to play and being able to manage personalities. We had some really good players. I think we had seven or eight kids um, go there to, to Division One basketball or Division Two basketball off that team. We won the league, um, you know, and when you win, you know, your league in, in any of those Florida JUCO conferences, you're playing really, really good basketball. Um, but his expectation for us when we were assistants and, and my fellow assistant is Mike, was Mike Bellotto, who was uh, an assistant at Louisville and her coach Patino and then uh, is now the head coach at Arkansas State. He and I shared an office together. Great guy, really, really good basketball mind. Um, but but Butch expected us to be prepared, and that was in recruiting, that was in scouting, that was in practice. And if you weren't, he let you know about it. And that's one of those things. I, I was a young coach at the time, and I think you need that. You need someone to push those buttons because ultimately, when you end up being a head coach, you're making all those decisions, and you have to be prepared. And so he was hard on us, um, but in a way that got us prepared for our next jobs. And that was the one thing that he always talked about was, you know, I don't want you guys to stay here. I want you to move on to Division One basketball or whatever it is you want to do. I ended up moving on to a high school job. Um, but I have no doubt that, that if I wanted to get back in Division One basketball from, from Miami-Dade, I could have done that based on the preparation, um, you know, that he gave us. Uh, another guy that really steps uh, comes to mind um, is Bruce Evans. Bruce uh, and I were assistant coaches at Gardner-Webb together in North Carolina. Bruce is an assistant at North Florida, was formerly the head coach at Lander. Um, he taught me how to be a basketball coach as a colleague, um, about how you carry yourself every day, about how you prepare, about how you treat people, um, you know, what it looks like in the recruiting process. There are just so many awesome life lessons. Um, and again, he took the time. He didn't have to do that. Um, but we had that connection, both being from South Carolina. And uh, he continues to this day to be a really good friend. And he's a really, really good basketball coach. Yeah, I think most people in South Carolina that ever dealt with Coach Evans have nothing but awesome things to say about him. He's the consummate professional when it comes to just the way you handle yourself. I mean, I always, I always think nothing Absol but great things absolutely. about him. Yeah. Now tell me, what are some of your favorite sports moments that you've been a part of? Ooh, um, I mean, I think the, the one you alluded to earlier, um, to hear basically a pin drop in Rupp Arena uh, <laughs> on their senior day and to see Rick Pitino be ejected from that game, if you remember. Oh, yes. um, and, 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 you know, for us to get home and, and, you know, look, and the players did all the work. I mean, you and I kept stats and folded towels and did stuff like that. But we were good at that to too, see, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we were. I was average to below <laughs> average. Um but, uh, but, you know, to see those guys and, and the happiness in that locker room and then to get home, you know, um, and, and pull in on the plane 
um, was something I'll never forget. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget the two NCAA tournaments, but, but for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, when those happen to pop up or they end up on YouTube or whatever, we try to avoid them. But, uh, but that SEC championship was amazing. You know, I think most people who are in Columbia uh, that are our age remember, you know, beating Kentucky at home the first time. Um, we had Dick Vitale there and, and, you know, the students stormed the court when we won. I think another memory that really stands out um, is I know people remember the Cincinnati game at home when Antonio Grant hit that shot to win it. But I remember the Cincinnati game at Cincinnati uh, when we beat them up there and absolutely completely dominated them in a game that I don't think anybody thought that we were going to be able to handle. Um, and that, again, goes back to the preparedness of that that coaching staff. Um, you know, obviously winning a, winning a league title in Florida um, in a junior college was was awesome. Um, that was probably the most challenging coaching job I've, I've um, staff and, and job I've been a part of just because of the, the number of personalities you had to mash, mash. We had kids from locally in South Florida. We had kids from North Carolina. We had international kids on our team. And, and to get those kids to come together, it's not like you've got them for three years and you've got this senior laden group you put together. It's kind of a can be, it's not always, but it can be a revolving door, but we had really good players. And, and, you know, obviously when, when you're the, you know, the best player, it's very similar to division one, when you're the best player in your high school and all of a sudden you've got to come in and you've got six or seven guys that are as good as you, you're going to have to sacrifice some of your game in order for the team to be successful. And I think that's a, a great learning lesson for any coach is to be at that kind of level and have to get guys to buy in, um, you know, to sacrificing some of their personal glory for the team. Um, and so, you know, winning that league title was awesome. Obviously, um, been a been a part of some really good high school teams. Um, you know, I think as coaches, we're creatures of habit. I think a lot of us tend to skew to the negative. Um, so you remember the ones that you didn't get. Uh, you remember the losses for your kids. I don't think any coach forgets um, the look on your kids' faces at the end of a season, especially if you've had a really good year and you lose tough games to, to end your season. You know, there's only one team that wins at the end of the year. So everybody's had, has had that, that tough locker room scene. But, you know, winning some, some region titles. And, again, I've had really good assistant coaches. And, and when you have really good players, um, you tend to win games. And so those guys are responsible for that. But I'm just happy to, to have been a part of those, those neat things. And I think the last thing um, is I think those – and every coach, I think, can relate to this – you know, I guess they call it the grind or the struggle or whatever the buzzword is now that, that people use, but being in that locker room with your guys and your team or being in practice every day, you know, when it's, it's, you know, Thursday evening at 8:42 and your kids are still in the gym um, and you're working because you've got a big game on, on Friday night. And that's, that's stuff that a lot of people don't see. And those kids make huge sacrifices, whether you're a high school student or a college student, um, to, to play the sport they love and, and just kind of being in those moments. I think you look back to those times and, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but you know, the laughs you have with guys or, you know, certain stories that'll come up when, when you get together as a group and you're like, Oh my God, I didn't remember that. Um, so I think those are some awesome sports memories too, to, to, to be honest. I do have to ask you about it. Cause I've got 
sadly a little bit of experience with this. Me and you are a little bit different than most people. We have both been on the wrong end of an ESPN play of the day. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we both gave each other grief the day after it it happened to, to each other. And, um, when you look back at that, how, how do you look back on that? And yours was at the Chick-fil-A Classic, and Seventh Woods had a pretty nasty dunk. How, how do you look back at that now? Gosh, you know, I think at the time, to be honest with you, I was I was more concerned about uh, the kid who, who took the charge. And, and a side note to him, and, and I don't know if people know this, but his name was Brad Lemons, and he uh, ended up playing football at Furman and was in the L.A. Chargers camp this fall. So – he played in NFL preseason games. A little, just a side note. Um, you know, we had the team over, uh, for our holiday party the next day, which was, you know, possibly the worst day to have it, but we weren't going to move it. And, uh, I get up that morning and, uh, I turn on, you know, obviously everybody's got sports center on, right. It's on like 42 times in the morning. And, uh, I turn it on and I'm like, Oh no. (laughs) And, you know, by that time we were, you know, we were in enough of a social media age where I had, it had been sent to me and it's ball is life everywhere. I think at the time, and, you know, I, I give the cred kid credit for trying to take a charge and, and I give seventh woods credit for just an absolutely unbelievably athletic play. But I think you look back on it, like it happened, you know, you just happened to be a part of it. Um, and you were on the other end of it. You know, I don't know. Do you look at it differently if it's your guy who, who dunks on him? I mean, Right now we're five years removed from that, six years, whatever it was, removed from that from that situation. And um, you know, I, I feel I feel for the kid, uh, you know, that got dunked on just because, you know, I think that's something he's got to deal with, and and that's more what I'm concerned about. It, it is what it is. Now you you also got dunked on by an absolute freak in Zion Williamson. Yeah, that was. Um... I remember telling our guys at practice the day before, I said, if y'all don't do this the right way, if you let him just come to the rim free as could be, you're going to be seen by thousands of people on YouTube. Well, I was wrong. You've seen probably by millions of people on SportsCenter. But, I mean, I kind of look at it now as like, okay, I mean, it was – I've always believed this. If you play good competition and something like that happens, our guys, the guys that played against them, are going to remember that more so than if they played somebody they should beat by 30 points. No, do I want sure. do I want to get dunked on like that? Nope, absolutely not, but the chance to play against a really good player, players and things like that happening, I'm, you know, for the most part I'll I wish it didn't happen, but uh, I'm not losing any sleep over it this time now. <laughs> well, I, I'll say this, you know, I think um I, I give seventh a lot of credit. Um we we had some really good games, the Chick-fil-A game. Um, that we played in the the main gym at Northeast. I think when Tevin was a senior and seventh might've been a junior, it was like double overtime, whatever it was, was unbelievable. Um, And it was literally give those two guys the ball and get out of the way. Um, And we had some really good players to to compliment Tevin, but I give seventh credit. I, I, I didn't see him taking off and dunking from there. You know, I just didn't. I think Brad thought he was going to step up and make him stop and pull up or he was going to run him over. But I mean, if you go back and look at that thing, he is way out there and that's just an unbelievable play. I mean, credit to him, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of piggyback off of what we just talked about, because those two plays were brought upon or the national attention, probably mainly from social media and social media now is such a big role in high school athletics, high school basketball, 
you know, tell me, uh, what role do you believe that uh, social media plays in high school athletics now? I, I, I think it's here to stay and it's not going anywhere. Um, you know, and just from my perspective, I, I can only speak from my own experience, but the pressure on our coaches, my coaches that, that work for us at Dreer and, and, and the pressure on me to a certain extent, and I think the pressure on the kids to have all of these graphics and highlight videos and these guys are coming out of the woodwork, um, you know, filming things and making edits and, you know, um, I think it's really neat to be honest with you. I think it shows a ton of creativity. Um, and I think you need to embrace it. Um, you know, from, from our perspective, I, I think, um, our athletic department can do a, can do a better job with it. I think we're going to make a concerted effort to do that going forward. Um, I think it's things that, that kids want to see and, and it's what they're growing up with, you know? So I think if you fight it and you say, God, they don't need to do all that stuff. And that's ridiculous. Well, okay, but you're going to lose because that's where, that's where kids are. You know, that's, that's their peer group. That's what they're interested in. You know, they're watching five, eight, 12 second clips. They're not watching 45 minute games. And so with these quick, you know, two minute videos, um, you know, I mean, I, I think it says it all. Um, at South Carolina, where you have an assistant athletic director in charge of media, yeah, um, and Justin King, who's amazing, but I mean, he's an associate AD or assistant AD, I think that's correct. I mean, that tells you the power that it has in recruiting, and so you know, I think um, embracing it is the way to go. I still don't think it gets you an offer. It doesn't make you a better player. Um, but I think it's here to stay, and, and, and I think we're better off embracing it than fighting it. Oh, I, I completely agree with you. I think um, for a while, social media by athletic programs and teams and basketball programs was something that was kind of an extra. Um, I really believe you got to have one. But I, I just I believe that's something you, you can't treat as an extra anymore. I think it's something you got to have to help promote your program and, and what you do. But I'm completely in green, agreement of you. I, I've still have yet to have any college coach directly tell me that they started recruiting a kid strictly be, based off what they saw something on social media. Right. And, and I think where, where it's going to benefit um, a kid, especially in basketball, the most is, is at your lower levels uh, where they don't have the ability to get out uh, budget wise and see as many kids. So I think you can start that process, but but a college, any college coach worth their salt does not want to see a highlight video. They want to see an entire game or multiple games, and they want to see you when you play well, and they want to see you when you struggle because they're going to watch that body language towards your coach. They're going to watch your body language towards your teammates. They're going to watch how you act when you pick up your second foul and have to sit. They want to see if you lead, you know, and that's over a full game, you know, and so I think – the flashy stuff is fantastic, and, and I'm not a get-off-my-lawn old man on this, but you, you, you got to put in the work, you know, and and, um, and I think that they want to see over the long haul when they invest that kind of money in you that you've got the total package to be able to help their program because the reality is if you don't, they're going to go find somebody else. What advice would you give to your players and coaches about social media? I think the biggest piece of advice is that uh, it is accessible by anybody. Um, and, and we see this now where, you know, you can put it on private, but eventually, um, you know, your employer may ask to see it. A college coach may ask to see it. Or the, the question they're going to ask is, why is your social media private? Um, watch what you say on there. 
Um, I think it's the old adage that, that everybody says, do you, if you don't want your grandmother reading it, then don't put it on there. But I also think that, you know, it's okay to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, it's, you know, it's, it's an expression of who you are as a person and everybody's unique. So when you have that opportunity, show your personality and maybe your personality is fun loving. Maybe you're really serious. You know, maybe you want to show yourself working out all the time. Maybe you want to show yourself in a goofy moment. I, you know, I, I think there are so many positive things about social media, but I also think it can be a nasty, nasty world. Um, and so you have to be careful, but I, but to take it and skew it kind of positive, I think it, it gives coaches and athletes the ability to show their personality. Now, the aside, the aside to that is, you know, there, there's the idea of freedom of speech, but not freedom of consequence. So you have the ability to say what you want, but it doesn't mean that there are not going to be consequences for it. And so we try to tell our coaches when I meet with them, just to be careful what you post on there, but promote your program. And I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, look, John, we're, we're in a, we're in an age now where kids at the college level are transferring at an, at an alarming rate. Um, we see a ton of high school transfers and I think parents and kids are doing their homework and seeing, you know, for your particular sport, what you have to offer, what's your social media presence, you know, are you developing kids to go to the next level? Um, you know, how do you hold them accountable academically? You know, how do you show that you care about them? Well, social media, you know, can be that front porch opportunity to showcase your program and your athletic department. So I think there are a lot of really, really uh, savvy coaches out there that understand that and they promote their program and kids like that parents like it. And subsequently, you know, people are interested in, in being there. When you go to interview coaches, do you check their social media accounts out? Absolutely. 100%. Um, it would not preclude me necessarily from offering a coach a job, but I want to get an idea, especially if I don't know you, um, you may be from out of state, um, or I may not run in, in a particular circle that you do. And, and I don't know much of, you know, admittedly, I don't know how many ADs would admit this, but I will, there are some sports that I don't know a ton about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to learn. So I may not know you, you know, from, from an athletic arena. So I want to kind of get an idea of, of who I'm dealing with. Um, and that can give me a glimpse, but you know, there's nothing like, uh, personal interaction to, to kind of get that feel, but yeah, absolutely a hundred percent. And then the same question applies. Um, you know, uh, if your social media is private or I can't see it, I, I, I may not ask you, but I may wonder why is it private? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some very valid reasons, you know, mine, um, a lot of mine are private. And a lot of that is because I post pictures of my kids or my, my kid, I've only got one <laughs> and, and, and I don't, uh, you know, I'm getting old, man, I promise. Um, I, you know, I, I just don't think that's public consumption for everybody. And so I choose to do it that way. Not everybody does. That's just how I choose to do it. And I think that's a valid reason. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think social media can be an unbelievably positive selling tool for you and, or your programs. Yeah. I I really like it. I I enjoy social media. I mean, I, I'm, my Twitter is public, but I use it more as a professional um, tool than a personal tool. I have an Instagram account, but that's, that's, um, private and that's only to me really close friends and family. Um, I post pictures of my kids on that one and, but I don't, that's not something I typically do on, on my, 
uh, Twitter account, but I do think it's a great tool. I do think it's a very important tool in helping growing your program. I, you know, it can be anything, whether it be basketball, football, athletics, uh, any type of academic club for that matter. About what do you feel like some of the toughest parts of your job are? Who, man, that's a, maybe a different podcast. Um, <laughs> I, listen, I, I uh, feel very fortunate, um, and especially in the times that we're in right now, I feel very fortunate to have a job and to have a job that I that I really enjoy. Um, I think personally, uh, the toughest part of my job is the amount of time that I'm away from home. Um, and I think the other piece of it is when you're an athletic director and you don't coach a sport, I think one of the one of the things that gives you great joy as a coach is the relationships that you build with kids. And I think when you're not with them every day at practice, not working them out and not in the weight room with them and doing those things, um, that those personal relationships are, are more difficult to develop. So you've kind of got to find different ways to do it. And so I try to be very visible in my job. I, I would hope that our parents and and coaches and, and athletes would say that I'm visible and I'm at a lot of things. And I, and I think that's a way to build relationships when you don't coach them personally um, or you're not around your coaches every day or, or, and when I say around them, I see them, but I'm not there, you know, at every practice. Um, so I think that's tough. Um, you know, I think, I think one of the things that, um, you know, and again, I, I try to be as transparent as I can, um, and authentic in my answers, um, hopefully in, in the way that it can help young ADs or other ADs or coaches. But, you know, I think that one of the toughest things we have in our job is that we have to say no a lot. And I don't like saying no to a coach. I don't like saying no to a kid. I don't like saying no to parents. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a necessary evil um, in, in the profession that we're in. Um, and it may be a simple no that, you know, you can't wear a certain color uniform that you want to order because that doesn't fit with our branding and our scheme and, you know, what we want to do. It can be uh, as difficult as, you know, you're not going to finish the rest of your senior year because you made a decision that went against the values of our athletic department or, you know, um, in, in some of our worst case scenarios, you know, you're you're no longer going to be the coach here um, or you're going to be allowed to finish the year and, and, and that's going to be it. So, you know, those are all forms of no that, that you, you really don't enjoy. I think you've got to be a pretty sick individual to, to enjoy telling people no all the time. I think most of us um, in, in education, I think um, enjoy helping people uh, enjoy uh, when I say enable, not do for, but enable people to be successful uh, in some small way or big way. And I think when you have to, to kind of lay down the law and tell people, no, I think it can be difficult. So those are the three that I think are the, you know, kind of toughest parts of my job. But again, if we go back to big picture, it's not that tough. You know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have a job that I really enjoy. And, and, and again, in these times, I know there's a lot of people that are struggling, so it's all relative. Yeah, I, I, to me, I liken some of it to, as, at least as a basketball coach, when you talk about the toughest parts of your job, when you got to tell a young man they're they're being cut from the team, or when you're picking Awful. a team, and it, it's another form of no, as you said it, and it's, I can understand why that's stuff like that is the certainly the worst part uh, of a good job, and that's I think, difficult. Yeah, 
Well, I think, yeah, and I didn't mean to, to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but I think, you know, again, I go back to the general nature of people. Um, cut day for a coach, in my experience, and other coaches I've talked to, is the worst day of your season normally, other than when it's after your last game. Yes, it is. Um, you just, you, no one takes pleasure in telling a young person that they can't be a part of your program. Um, especially if they've worked really hard and it just may be a skill level thing. You know, it's, it's easier when I say easy in air quotes, when they haven't done the things that have been asked of them. Mm -hmm. Um, but when a young man or, or young lady does everything you ask them to do and they may just not be good enough, that's a tough thing to do. You know, that's a, that's a tough conversation to have with them. Um, and then inevitably, um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have to have a conversation with mom or dad. And those are never simple either. No, those are always very, very difficult. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what type of culture, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry. What type of culture are you trying to build at Dreher high school in your athletic department? Who that's again, a, a wide ranging thing. I, I, I think, um, I think if you ask me in, in two more years, I think it's a much narrower focused answer. Um, I think right now we want to we want to build a culture of caring about each other and accountability. Um, I think if you do those two things, I think oftentimes you attract good people. I think you the winning and losing ends up taking care of itself. Obviously, you know there there are other factors, but I think I want coaches who um, who are going to hold kids accountable and who care about and build relationships with their kids. And so that also goes back to the athletic director. You know, I've, I've got to be able to live that mission um, and, and those values every day. And listen, I think a lot of days I do, but there are some days that I don't. And then I get to look at that and, and analyze that and then come back the next day and try to do better. And I think that's the same with our kids. I think that's the same with our coaches. Um, you know, we're, we're not expecting to be perfect, but we are, we are trying to teach accountability because I think that's a, a huge life skill. And then I think you, you can't, you, you cannot effectively run, um, a successful high school program, in my opinion, without building, um, long lasting and meaningful relationships with your kids. Um, I, I think, they will run through a wall for you if they know you care about them. And when I say care, that doesn't mean that tell them how great they are all the time. That, that means holding them accountable at times. That means saying no, but it also means that you've taken the time to get to know them. You, you've backed them. You've stood in their corner with them. Um, you know, you've, you've helped them when they've struggled. And so they know that ultimately you care about them as a person and it's, you know, and I, I don't know how much you've, you've delved into transactional and transformational coaching, but it, it feels much less like a transaction um, when you are dealing with young people and you are there to transform and to build meaningful relationships. Uh, that's, I think that's great. To me, that's a fear of mine, never to want to be a transactional coach. Um, and I'm maybe at some degree, we all do that a little bit when it comes to one, one particular action. But one of the things that's real big to me is I, I just, I want to, I do want to develop relationships 
with our players and people that I've worked with and, and coach. And I know for you as an athletic director, that's got to be with players and coaches that you're trying to develop those relationships with. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, listen, John, I, I'm, I'm, I was, there have been times in my career where I was 100% transactional. Um, and it's something that I don't think anybody is proud of. I certainly am not. Um, I look back at times and go, golly, you, you did a pretty poor job developing a relationship with that individual kid or that team. Um, and there are ones that haunt me to this day. And then there are other teams and kids where I think, you know, gosh, I think you, you and your staff, you know, we did a good job with that group. Um, but I think if I, I guess I can only speak for myself, but I think that I have at times been that transactional guy. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I, I know what that looks like and I know what that feels like. And, and I don't want that for kids. I, I think for me, I think when it stopped being about me and became about them, I think I, I had a lot of growth. And I think coming from being a college coach to coming back to being a high school coach, man, those kids at Bishop England, I hope some of them are able to listen to this. <laughs> um, but I, man, I was really hard on those guys. And uh, we had a lot of success. Um, I, I was very transactional and, and it was about me. And, uh, and I think that's a really, really dangerous place to be as a high school coach because it should never be about you. It should be about your kids. It's, it's their experience 10 years from now that they're going to look back 20 years from now. Um, and they're going to say, God, I, I really didn't like that guy. And listen, I've made that mistake since, um, you know, with a, with a couple teams that I've coached. So it's not like I, I learned that lesson right away. I had to learn the hard way. Um, and, uh, and, and I think, um, you know, I'll use Westwood as an example and, and, um, God, I didn't, I totally forgot to mention that at the beginning, but, you know, Westwood where you are right now had an unbelievable influence, uh, on my career and how I view relationships with, with kids and how I view relationships, uh, with coworkers and with parents. Uh, I, I, just can speak for myself. I, I had a really good experience there. Was were we perfect? No, I'm sure we weren't as a staff. But um, I learned how to really care about kids, um, and and we got a we really really had a fantastic group of kids over two years that really um, cared about each other. I had a really good principal. Um, I have a really good athletic director, um, and we had we had really good parents. And so we came together and and. Um, and, and I just, I guess I'm kind of rambling here, but I really learned the value of how you build relationships with people. And again, like I said, I'm sure I wasn't perfect, but for me, it was a large area of growth. Well, I can tell from being over at Westwood High School now for a year that uh, you were certainly very well respected in, in how you conducted your business and the relationships that you built with people. And it was built upon respect from a number of different people in, in that building. And, you know, I think you've, everything that I've heard talk to people, you've done a really good job with that there. And, you know, that's something that's, um, we're working hard to try to, uh, you know, try to get, get, get to and try to continue building those um, relationships. But you certainly have done a really good job. And I would also got to imagine when you, you think about some of those hard times that you were hard on kids. I bet you were hard on kids because you knew how good they could be and what they could be. And it wasn't maybe as transactional 
at times as you might think. I mean, that's just obviously a guess on my part because your kids at Bishop England were always well executed. They seemed to be well mannered, played the game the right way, always really tough and competitive. Um, you know, do you talk to many or any of those kids um, since you've left Bishop England? I do. Yeah, I, I I am lucky to to still have some some really good relationships there. Um, and and I guess you know you're as a coach, and I'm sure the coaches, the all seven that will probably listen to this podcast because I'm on here. Um, We'll, uh, we'll, we'll say that, um, you know, they've had those moments where they're really hard on themselves. Um, and, and maybe it wasn't as bad as, as they thought, but, um, those kids were, were, and, and are still some of the toughest kids I've ever coached. Um, but that's a lot of credit to their parents and, and how they were raised. Um, I think I saw what we could be as a group and what they could be individually. And I think that carried on to, to Dreer and, into Westwood. And, um, you know, I, I, I always look through the lens of, I think we've got to prepare you, um, for what your life is going to look like when you're 25, 35 and 45. And I think we have a tremendous responsibility as coaches to try to get you ready for a really difficult world. Um, and so, I think those are, those are times where maybe I've been, been hard on kids where I, I guess I kind of see like, wow, I, I went through this, like it, it's a rough world out there, man. And you're going to have to be prepared for what that looks like. And that, that phrase is adversity, you know, it comes in, in a bunch of different forms. And so if, if we can have a small part in helping you, deal with that better when you're 25, 35 and 45, then I think we've, we've done a pretty good job. Um, if we haven't and, and you do struggle, then I, then I think we've failed. Oh, I, and I think maybe we go overboard at times with maybe how hard we are on kids because we are aiming for that. Well, we want to prepare them for times like what our country and our world's going through right now. That could be very difficult. We're, especially some families dealing with a loss of a job um, and hopefully that's maybe, you know, even I hate to say it, a loss of a loved one right now of uh, the, yeah. the crazy things. And it's a lot more difficult uh, than anything that you're going to face on a basketball court, uh, at least in my experience. Um, what, and they have, a, you know, kids at that age have a very myopic view of, of uh, high school kids in general, that world's very tunnel vision. You know, and, and we, as I guess, adults in that situation, see the, the long game. And so we're trying to get them to see that long game in a world where they're just trying to get from third block to fourth block or second quarter to third quarter, or they're trying to get to tomorrow, or they want to see how many likes they have on social media after the game. And we look at it sometimes like, how could you, why are you worried about that? But that's their world that that's what they are worried about. I think as coaches, we're trying to get them to understand that, that kind of bigger picture. And so I think it's always a work in progress. I think, um, you know, you, you, you try the best you can. And I think we're, we're so fortunate in the state um, to have so many coaches that care about kids and are trying to get them prepared. Really tough world. And, and I have a lot of respect and our teachers too, you know, they just, they're doing a really, really good job. What advice would you give uh, to a coach that wants to become a head varsity basketball coach, a young guy? What would you say to them? 
Um, you know, I think one of the things that <clears throat> that's a misconception and maybe some, some will agree, some won't, but I think one of the major misconceptions about being a high school head basketball coach is that the majority of your job is on the floor coaching and teaching. Um, it's not, you know, I, I would, I would argue that it's probably less than 25% of your job is actual on the floor coaching. So, you know, I think when, when I can speak from my perspective as an athletic director, you know, I'm, I'm as concerned before you sit down for an interview, I've got to have a pretty good idea that you, you technically know what you're talking about as a coach, you can teach basketball you know how to game plan but the things that i need to know before you get that job are how do you handle the day-to-day paperwork phone calls purchasing parents academics those are the things that are going to end up on my desk as an athletic director if they're not done properly and they have in 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 a lot of sports and i think can't sp- I can maybe speak for a couple ADs who, who I know well. They want coaches at whatever sport you're in to do their job and to not constantly have things cross your desk. And so, you know, <clears throat> after you learn how to do a purchase order, do we have to go over it with you eight times or do you know how to do it after the first or second time? You know, how do you handle that parent interaction after a game? How do you handle that parent phone call the next day? How do you handle a kid who needs to go to tutoring, but you have practice at four o'clock? You know, all those decisions that go into building a program, how are you going to fundraise? What's your philosophy on scheduling? All those things that, uh, you know, are you going to return an email to the guy at, 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 to Lou at the state or to the Columbia star, or are you going to ignore it? All those things that matter that are small details um, I'm, I, I've got to trust that you're going to do those things because if you don't, they're going to end up on my desk and then I'm going to have to deal with it. So I think the advice that I would give number one is make sure that if you're a JV coach now or a B team coach, or you're a varsity assistant, ask your head coach, whoever runs that program to be involved in as many of the decisions, how minute you think they are to be involved in as many of those decisions as possible before you get your first head coaching job. So if coach is ordering, your head coach is ordering backpacks or he's ordering shoes or he's making a team shop or he's talking to the person that's going to do your social media, you know, find out how he goes about that. Call other coaches that you know that have done it and say, hey, how would you handle this? Because you, you don't know till you have to do it. But the more prepared you are, the better off you'll be and the more uh, attractive you'll be as a candidate. I think a lot of times, you know, I I hear from coaches, I just can't get a shot. I just don't know why they keep hiring. They're hiring those guys because they trust the rest of the job is going to get done. And so as a young coach for, for a, you know, a guy that I don't know or, or a guy that I'm interviewing, I've got to get a real feel in that interview and with the people that I call who are your references that you get the rest of it. Um, The other piece I would tell you is that I think you need to network as much as possible. You never, ever know um, one who can teach you something. There are so many people in this world that can teach you things if you just stop talking and listen. Um, And I had to learn that the hard way. Um, 
many times. Um, and, and also, you know, you never know who's going to end up sitting in a room to hire you. You don't know who's going to end up being a principal. You don't know who's going to end up being an athletic director. And so I think the more people you meet and the more people that know you, uh, you know, can be, can be beneficial for your career. And then the last thing, and I, I know I'm going crazy here, but the last thing is get as much um, broad experience and varied and, and differentiated experience as you can. So challenge yourself. You know, if, if, if you've been at a public school for three years and the opportunity comes to go to a private school and financially you can make it happen, you know, all those things that, you know, I know there are other factors, but, you know, go work there and see what that world's like, because a private school and a public school in this state are much different. And I can say that because I've done it. Um, If you have the opportunity to, to be a, what I would call a low level college assistant coach, and you can financially do it, go do it, learn what it looks like to start at the absolute bottom at that level and how much work it takes to make it. Then you have the opportunity to come back and be, be a high school coach um, with a, a ton of different experience. So I guess those are the three areas that I would say are, are what I would give advice to, to a coach. And, and, uh, it's a, it's a hard road, you know, and, um, but you only, it only takes one person to believe in you. So you're, you're absolutely right. You never know when somebody you cross paths with now, you know, 15, 20 years later, uh, could be the difference between hiring you and not hiring you for a job. So that's certainly uh, great advice. If people know people, you know, and, and they're going to make phone calls and find out if you're at a different school, they're going to know somebody there. And if they get an honest opinion, they're going to, they're going to get a good feel of who you are. And, and that's the other thing, you know, you, people in your own building have to be able to go to bat for you. You're absolutely correct. If you were going to go back into coaching now and coach high school oh. basketball, what, what would you do differently? I think, and again, I, I, this is a poor excuse, but it's one that I'm going to make my training. Um, you know, when I, when I was first getting into coaching, you know, I was lucky enough to be a college coach when I was pretty young and in that area, and that has even shifted a lot, but the area that I was strongest in at that point, um, was game prep, breaking down teams, getting ready to play. And, you know, we, at the college level, you run a lot of sets. It's, it's can be more complicated depending on what program you're in, but usually there's, there's more nuances to it. Uh, Defensive coverages, you know, how you're going to guard ball screen. Some high school coaches do a fantastic job of that. Um, Some not so much, but so my background was always, we're going to out prepare, out prepare, out prepare. We're going to run stuff. I think, it is the game has shifted in such a way that I think player development is at the absolute forefront of what you need to be doing as a high school coach. Um, you know, I think you have got to show kids that you can make them better players. You know, you hear the adage all the time that this generation of kids, which I, I sometimes believe sometimes don't, but that, you know, they would rather be all state than you win state. Again, I don't know that I totally believe that all the time, but, kids want to see results, you know, and, and we call this the microwave society, whatever you want, the information is at their fingertips. 
And if you are not developing them and making them better players individually to reach their individual goals, look, if you develop them individually and do a great job in that area, you're going to win games because everybody's going to be better, right? But you still have to be able to have that game plan mentality of how you're going to beat those certain teams in your region, right? That are always difficult to prepare for. You know, you're in for a dogfight. They've got players, you've got players. It's a good game, but I think um, player development is so critical, but the right player development, you know, if, if a kid and you know, he's got a chance to play at the next level, first of all, start with the basic skills, you know, let's make sure kids can dribble with both hands. Let's make sure that they can make offhand layups. You know, let, let's get the basics down and, 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 you know, people laugh at that, but the reality is there are a lot of high school basketball players that can't make an offhanded layup. I mean, they're right-handed and they, they really struggle to make a left-handed layup or they can't dribble with their weak hand. And so let's get the basics down and then do more advanced work. But I think that's a key. The other piece of it, I think is, and, and I've seen high school coaches um, subscribe to this theory and I've seen a lot of high school coaches not subscribe and I think I've been in the middle at times admittedly but um, is <clears throat> play everybody give your kids the ability to be seen showcased you know I, I think you got to make sure you have a supportive administration that that knows that that's your philosophy but go play anybody that wants to play you that gives your kids a chance to be seen and a chance for, um, for, for the betterment of your program. So you could probably schedule some games where you know you're going to win because it looks good for you and your record. But the reality is, have you prepared your team for their region schedule? Have you gotten your kids any more exposure? Have they improved by playing in those games, right? So if you have a supportive administration, a supportive AD, a supportive principal, supportive parents, whatever – and you say, look, we're, we're going to go play some people. You know, we, we, we may lose. You know, we, we, we're a 3A high school and we're going to go play some 5As because it's a great opportunity. They've got some really high-level players. There may be some college coaches there. We're going to go play in a showcase. We're going to play a home-and-home home against the toughest team in the city. Whatever it is, just go play them. You know, um, and, and I say that with the caveat of the support. But I think those are the, those are the things that I would change. Um, if I was ever going to get back into coaching. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a big believer in playing difficult teams, playing fun teams, playing things that guys will remember. And I think that those are all really good things to, to that, that you said there. All right, let's end this thing with a couple of rapid-fire, quick questions on some things that shouldn't be too terribly serious. But this, this could be a podcast alone, but do you think there should be a, a shot clock for high school basketball? Absolutely. I don't, I, I, I'm sure I'm not going to make friends in my, my AD circles, but don't, don't give me, please don't give me the reason that, that it's expensive or that I'm going to have to hire somebody to run it. <clears throat> we, we can figure that out. But that's the two biggest reasons given right now, isn't it? That most people tend to give or I... they are, but <clears throat> we can, we can find the money for most of us. Um, and I can, I can, I, I know there's going to be mistakes, but I, it's for the betterment of our game. And I've heard the argument that, and when I say our game, basketball has given me so much, I, I consider it to be my game. But um, it, it, 
I've heard the argument, how much does it really improve? Well, again, <laughs> it's what we're, everybody else plays with. So why wouldn't we play with it? You know, um, I think it makes you think more. I think you can't hold the ball, which again, I don't really see a, a, a terrible advantage to standing out for three and a half minutes while someone sits in the two, three zone. I just, I don't see the advantage of that for anybody in the sport. Yes. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I can be proven differently, but I, I just don't see that. I don't think anybody, I think it, it's going to add more excitement. Um, you know, I've heard, well, it'll make the game sloppier initially, maybe until people get it figured out about how to play with the shot clock and kids will adapt to that. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't think anybody comes on a Friday night and pays money, five, six, seven bucks, whatever your district charges for games to watch somebody play a 31-29 game. I just don't think anybody wants to see that, you know, and, and I think the shot clock will speed up the game. Um, I think it's good for those kids and it's a small group, but I think it's good for the kids who are going to play at the next level to learn how to do that early on in their career. And it's not as big of an adjustment. I completely agree. I, I know there's challenges with it and, you know, money's part of it. Finding someone to run, it's part of it. I know the officials have got to learn how to do it and all that's part of that. But I certainly believe it can happen. If um, you're going to make one change to high school athletics in South Carolina, what would you make? Any new rule changes, anything different? What, what would you change? Oh, goodness. Oh, wow. Um, you, you stunned me with that one. Um, who one rule change. Uh, I am not a fan at this point of the open season rule. Uh, I would uh, much prefer um, for uh, us to be able to work with kids pretty much whenever we want to be able to do that. I, from a basketball perspective, um, I'll speak from that perspective because I, I don't want to speak to another sport where I'm not as familiar, but, you know, to, to work out in the fall leading up to your season. And then once the state championship is over, you don't see your kids again till June 1st to me does not help their development. Um, I think there can be a tweak to that rule. I think that you could take days in the fall days in the spring um, and work those together. I, I understand where the rule comes from. I, I think I'm not going to take the cynical route that some do as to why that rule was made and what particular sport it applies to. I see the, the theory of, you know, kids are being forced to choose. They get burned out. They're playing travel. They've got AAU. That, that's great. Maybe those kids don't come to those workouts, but you have kids in your program that want development that can't come in your gym. You know, and the other part that it that that it forces is it forces a little bit of the have and have not situation where you've got to have an athletic class because the rule is you can do whatever you want during the day. And so those schools that have that have an advantage. Um, and I know there are advantages all over high school athletics, but that's one I think that that, again, if I'm the czar for the day, which I'm not and they're never going to ask me to be um, for basketball, I, I I would change that rule. And no, I don't want to go back to the three man workouts. I <laughs> one of the worst things ever, but no, I, I completely agree with you. I wish they would give us more flexibility. Me as a basketball coach, I don't want to practice all the time. I really don't. Um, but I, it would be nice to be able to see the guys a few times after the season's over with to help them, to develop them, you know, some not run practice for 
for two months leading up to June. I, that's that's not my in, intention at all. But you know, hopefully, maybe one day that will that will change back again. All right, tell me who's the best player you've coached against basketball. Hmm. Ooh. I gotta think. Hmm. Um. We went up to Oak Hill. Dwayne Bacon was pretty good. <laughs> I think he plays for the Hornets now. Okay. Um, he was at Oak Hill. Of course, all their guys are really good. Um, he was very, very good. Um. When I was at Bishop England, we played against Westchester out of L.A. Uh, and they had a kid named Dwayne Poley that ended up, I believe, at St. John's. He may have transferred, but <clears throat> I think he was at St. John's. And they had another guard named Jordan Mays um, that played at Arizona. Um, and those guys were, were a handful. Um, there's so many good players out there. I mean, locally, seventh was was really, really good. Um I'm trying to think, John. I'm trying to think the the places you know that that we've been and who we would have seen. Um, there's when I was in junior college. <clears throat> this will take people old school back, but maybe if Mike Boynton's listening to this, um, Mario Bogan or Bogan uh, played at Oklahoma State. He was at uh, Chipola. We played against them, and he was a big man. Uh, ended up at Oklahoma State, and we played Chipola in the semifinals of the state tournament in Florida. And he was pretty much unguardable. Um, so I, yeah, gosh, I'm sure I'm leaving. I'm well, those, sure I'm leaving somebody out. Well, those are a lot of good players you, you got there. Is there one particular game that you coached as a head coach that you remember forever for good reasons? That that was maybe a favorite or just <laughs> good reasons? Yeah, because because every coach goes back. To, I think to the I think skews to the negative because um, there's there's a negative yes. one um, that, that that we all struggle with. Um, I tell you what, the one game. Uh, speaking of guys that are that that are fantastic basketball players, we beat uh, when I was at Bishop England. We beat Somerville. They had AJ Green, uh, wide receiver fame yeah. for the Bengals, and um, we beat them in a tournament at the Citadel on a last second uh, play. And we were we were probably pretty overmatched. T Newman, who's a great guy, he was their coach at the time. Um, and uh, we were pretty overmatched, I would say, based on their athletes and our, our athletes. And uh, we ended up beating them. We were lucky enough to beat them the year before, too. Um, but we beat them on a last-second play. Um, you know, I think we had some special moments, um, you know, when when I was at Dreer, um, you know, obviously winning the region titles there. Uh, there wasn't a particular game that stood out. I, I loved being a part of that Hammond-Dreer Chick-fil-A game. I mean – if you're in that main gym at the Chick-fil-A, um, it's, it's something special, especially those late games. I mean, the place is packed and it was a show and it was two local teams. And, and so that one will stand out. It, it was just a, a really, really neat memory. I guess there's a lot, man. I, I, you could probably have another separate show for, for a lot of coaches on, uh, on great memories of games, but, but those ones stand out in particular, um, you know, and then obviously you've got, you know, you wouldn't want to name them individually, but you got several special kids that come to mind when you, you know, when you go through those stories. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Jeff, man, we appreciate the time you sat down here with us to 
talk about it. I think there's a lot of great things here. And once again, we just thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, John. Thank you, sir. You've been listening to the Balmetto State Podcast. For our show notes and other valuable information, please visit our website at balmettostate.com. We would love to connect with you on social media and hear what you think. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by going to at Balmetto State. Thank you for investing your time with us.